are entering the Freedom Hut. It's not over yet. They're still trying to end the Kavanaugh nomination battle in their favor, folks. The Democrats have more ugly, dirty tricks up their sleeves. We're getting a sense of what the next salvo will be. I'll talk to you about that. And also, what would happen if you tried to write the craziest left-wing grievance studies papers imaginable and then submitted them for publication? Well, here's the short answer. They'd get published. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. One beer, right? I had one beer. Well, do you think it was? Nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. And a man's life is in tatters. A man's life is shattered. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. President Trump got some heat, including from Senate Republicans today, because he, at that rally, where they began with chants of We Want Kavanaugh, At that rally, he talked about Dr. Ford's testimony. Professor Ford, Dr. Ford, whatever. And, yes, there are massive holes. In fact, very coincidental holes in that testimony, as I've said all along. I do not believe her. And now, more than ever, I feel confident in saying she should not be believed. But they're very angry at Trump, you see. They're very angry at Trump because he's not allowed to he's not allowed to mock a quote survivor but what if she's not a survivor what if she's either delusional which i thought was the case or actually just a liar which is increasingly to me looking like it might be the case i had thought delusional but we might be very quickly moving here into liar territory some things that need to get clarified quite quickly we we know that her lawyers at least lied on her behalf about being afraid of flying that's established So there are people around her who are telling lies. She also talked about how she needed two doors as a security measure, which just didn't ring true when she said it. And now I keep seeing real clear investigations, I believe, has published something on this, as well as other places on the Internet, that if you look at the construction records, it does not line up with her claim that she needed the door based on security concerns for renovation or during a renovation that came before that. Why don't we have clarity on that? If she lied about that, that really matters. We also now have her ex-boyfriend of six years who's come out and given a sworn declaration and says that he remembers her coaching somebody on how to beat a polygraph. Which is not much of a leap, is it? Considering that she is somebody who has studied psychology and behavioral psychology, and that's the world she operates in anyway. So that, to me, is highly believable as a claim. Or sounds credible as a claim, but we we don't have evidence. We just have sworn testimony. But 
or this is we're being told we got to factor in these different things without having clear proof one way or the other. So let's factor it in. We heard so much about how oh, she beat a polygraph. I shouldn't say she, well, that was maybe Freudian right there. She was cleared by the polygraph. Maybe you could say the polygraph said that she was not being deceptive. She was being truthful. What if she knows how to be deceptive on a polygraph? If she knows how to do that, by the way, that would then indicate that she lied under oath. And if she lied under oath about the polygraph, and by the way, I still don't believe that she took the polygraph not knowing she was going to come forward. So I've always thought that was a lie. But if she lied under oath about taking the polygraph, then we know that she's not delusional. Then she's actually a malicious actor here. And given that we've been told, including by sitting U.S. senators, that millions of lives are at stake Millions of women's lives are at stake if Kavanaugh gets on the Supreme Court, which is an insane thing to say, that it is pretty widespread among Democrats. Why is it so hard to believe that somebody would try and do something that they would view as a great act of heroism and that they will be heralded for on the left for generations to come for that act? You think that that's that's so unthinkable? That's so not credible. Hmm. Really? I find that hard to believe. Those who today were criticizing Trump for weighing in here seem to forget that just because their allegations are now falling apart, it doesn't mean that the rest of us have forgotten how disgusting, how disgraceful, how underhanded they have been all along in their efforts to try and derail this Kavanaugh nomination. That has been their purpose, and they have been willing to do anything and everything in order to get there. That they're now in a more defensive position than they have been. You know, Avenatti, I saw, had a another sworn declaration today that a person was at parties in the 80s where there was drinking and sex and, and knew that Kavanaugh was at these parties. I mean, at what point are we just putting high school drinking and socializing in some kind of weird public trial here? I mean, it, there, there's no names. There's no allegations of specific criminality. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'll swear I'll swear testimony out that I went to a party a long time ago and there were people who were drinking and having premarital sex and that was happening. OK, that's not you, you can't disprove that you're not going to get in trouble for perjury. It also doesn't prove anything. I mean, they have a naughty thing. I mean, the left should I keep I keep running into they should be ashamed, but I know they have no shame and they view this as an ends justifies the means situ, uh, situation. And that's why I want to remind everybody right now. We got to keep our eye on the ball here. This has never been. This has never been about getting to the truth. This delay is not about getting to the truth. It's not about being fair to Kavanaugh or even respecting the process in any meaningful sense. This has been do anything to get the Democrats way. That's what this is. And I'm concerned we've got a lot of time is going to pass between now and Friday. There's a lot of room for them to come up with something. And you've seen the narrative shift. Oh, the FBI investigation isn't fulsome enough. They haven't done enough. Um, You've seen that happen. But there's another component to this, too. This is where I'm the most concerned as to how I could see a vote failing or the Senate not having the votes, one or the other. And that is this notion now that the only way that we can come back from this brink of partisan abyss is if Kavanaugh becomes the sacrificial lamb. 
if Kavanaugh is the one who has to get swept aside here so that we can bring the country back together, you see, so that we can heal the nation. I want to slap myself as I say that, but trust me, that resonates with people like Flake and Collins and Murkowski, and you could see today some of them at least jockeying around this issue a little bit, trying to position themselves for maximum political benefit around Trump. Oh, how how could he? So terrible, making fun of the victim. He wasn't making fun of her. He was really making fun of her testimony, which is a different thing. Uh, There are people who could make fun to a great extent of Dr. Ford. You know, people are all saying, oh, she's so credible. She came across as credible. She came across to me as very strange and a little disturbed. And, you know, the day of, I'm hearing all these people that are going on the media and saying, well, well, I was, you know, I had a sexual assault in my past, or I know somebody who was sexually assaulted, so I believe Dr. Ford. This is ethically a, a, a completely untenable, unacceptable position that will lead to monstrous outcomes. Something bad happened to me, so I think that any time there's an allegation of that bad thing involving someone else, I believe that person, or I believe the allegation. That's not the way the system's supposed to work. That's not the way moral judgment can be passed. But this was a hysteria. There was a frenzy here, and it was fed so much by politics, but also by the personalization of so much of this Kavanaugh versus Ford situation. You'll notice the second... Uh, the second allegation from Ramirez and the third from Swetnick, they, they're barely even discussing that anymore. Just y- you really can't make a case that somebody should be believed when that person isn't even sure that she knows what she's saying, as we found out with Ramirez. And in the third case with Swetnick, it's an intelligence test. Watch that interview with Julie Swetnick, where she's talking about gang rape and being in, in community college and hanging out with high school kids and all this stuff. And, and if you think that she's being truthful, don't buy any books with big words in them anytime soon. I, it's just the truth. If you think she's being truthful, your your skills of discernment and analysis are, uh, are, are lacking, to say the least. But don't be fooled by what's happening with the Dems here. Don't be fooled for a second. Just because the narratives are collapsing. Just because now we can really come out. Now it's really safe out there to say, hold on a second. There's some big gaps. There's some holes. There's women who are lying. Are we to believe the second and third are lying? And that's just a coincidence. But the first is oh so honest. I have a hard time believing that. Now we can speak honestly and truthfully about what has been said to us in the last week and week and a half. And we need to understand that Democrats aren't just relying on that in order to take down Kavanaugh. Now it's going to be, oh, we need bipartisanship. Oh, there's a temperament issue here, as we discussed yesterday. It's about it's about Kavanaugh's character, you see. There's stuff in his background. This is the latest, just breaking before I came on the air. The, the, the Senate with Feinstein and Coons just debasing themselves for the amusement of the pink hat wearing lunatic left. They're saying now that, well, the background investigation information from Kavanaugh's six other background checks, that's where the real mother load is. Let's talk about this and and much more. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK-TEAM. We have a jam-packed show. We'll be right back. 
the president was stating the facts and frankly facts that were included in special prosecutor Rachel Mitchell's report. He was stating facts that were given during Dr. Ford's testimony and the Senate has to make a decision based on those facts and whether or not they see Judge Kavanaugh to be qualified to hold the position on the Supreme Court. Every single word Judge Kavanaugh has said has been picked apart. Every single word, second by second of his testimony has been picked apart. Yet if anybody says anything about the accusations that have been thrown against them, that's totally off limits and outrageous. This entire process has been a disgrace, and the only reason that it's been that way is because Senate Democrats didn't do this the way that it should have been done, and they circumvented the entire system. And frankly, they've undermined our entire judicial branch by the way that they've acted and the inappropriateness of which they've conducted themselves. Absolutely correct. All of that stuff that she's saying there is true. Democrats have turned this into a circus. They should be ashamed. Of course, they won't be because they're incapable of shame. But, you know, let's not lose sight of that. Trump is not the problem here, as you well know. The problem is the Democrat left media apparatus and its complete lack of principles, its willingness to engage in the worst kinds of character assassination and personal destruction because it has a lust for power. In fact, power is the only reason the Democratic Party really exists. It's not the defense of any principles that I'm aware of. And now we have the the latest in the effort to uh, muddy up the waters and smear Kavanaugh. They're switching now from temperament to behavior. That's the story. Oh, well, he has behaviors. He threw ice once a long time ago. They're switching to deep dives into anything and everything they can find from his background file. That's right. Now they're saying the problem is that the background checks the FBI did in the past, the six background checks, that should all be public information. Here, in a letter to the Democrat, in a letter the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee challenged the accuracy of a tweet from the majority Republicans on Tuesday that said, nowhere in any of these six FBI reports, which the committee has reviewed on a bipartisan basis, was there any a whiff of any issue at all related in any way to inappropriate sexual abuse or alcohol abuse? Uh, so they're now saying, oh, no, guess what? There's bad stuff in his in his raw background reports. Remember, the FBI submits that stuff. And then there's an adjudication for things like if you have to get a security clearance or if you have to, you know, it. it but the FBI does not make the final determination. They certainly don't make the determination when it comes to this issue of, of whether someone's fit to be on the Supreme Court. Um, but they want more information. And when they don't get this information, they're going to say, oh, well, the real problem you see isn't the isn't the information they need for the from the new background check or the reopened background check. Now they're trying to suggest that there's stuff in those six other background checks that shows that Kavanaugh doesn't have the temper, that he's a bad guy. He's a drunk. He's a meanie. He's a sex abuser, all this stuff. Just more, more ambushes and then smoke screens, more not more nonsense, more garbage. And this is where, if I were somebody who used profanity on radio, I think I'd have to throw some into the mix here to describe what's going on. The Democrats have something else here. I'm telling you, there's something else they're going to, you know, they, they, they're going to leak something if they can from his background, from his background files. They're going to find something to add into the mix here. So that they can say, well, you know, you know, even if Kavanaugh's not a rapist or a gang rapist, which is what they were saying last week, even if that's not true. Now we have to take into account that his. Um, 
past is spotty in some ways. There are some places where it seems like he might have had too much to drink. And I saw this letter about how he, you know, they should tell the neighbors that there are a lot of when they were in high school, they're high school seniors. There's a little too much drinking, a little bit of puking. That's that's whether you think that's unfortunate behavior or not. I mean, whether you think it's a big deal or not, that's pretty commonplace among millions and millions of Americans. And Democrats, you know, the party of Bill Clinton and Ted Kennedy all of a sudden being Puritans. Oh, my gosh. Alcohol and like men and women mixing at parties. That seems to me to be just as as brazen uh, as it gets. But they're saying here that the information in these six background investigations that have already happened, that's what has to come out now. Also note that Blasey Ford's lawyers will not hand over her polygraph examination notes or her therapist notes until she gets to speak to the FBI. Here we go again. Why is the why is Blasey Ford? Why does she require speaking to the FBI? She already gave her statement under penalty of perjury to the House. I mean, the Senate Judiciary Committee. So why does she need to give the same? She's going to give it if she gives a different statement to the FBI. Then. She's lying and got a big problem. Now she's in criminal jeopardy. So she's not going to give a different statement to the FBI. So what's with this? Oh, I'll only give the information to the FBI. Oh, that's right. More excuse, more complaint, more delay. Which is the name of the game, which is why Flake's whole thing. All we found out since the delay last Friday was that we should have had the vote last Friday and that Flake is a moron. That's what we found out. That's all we found out so far. That the information that's come to light has just been... Further evidence that Kavanaugh should have gotten his vote last week when they planned to do it. And this is not healing the nation at all. And I'm telling you, they've got something else. It's going to hit tomorrow. They're going to put something They're They're cooking something up behind the scenes. I, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I think it's going to be about something unrelated to sexual assault now. They're going to say that Kavanaugh is an alcoholic or something like that. Just look in his. And and oh, by the way, he lied about being an alcoholic. The proof is in the records that the public's not supposed to be able to see. He was clearly belligerent, um, aggressive, angry. He was angry. He was ranting. He was unhinged. I was astonished at his at his rant. I mean, he's a judge. He's a sitting circuit court judge is supposed to be nonpartisan. That, that partisan rage that's the most unjudicial thing you can do he showed no judicial temperament but we know one thing he does not have the temperament how can he sit credibly on the court and claim to be impartial with a temperament like that that is not the temperament of a justice he came in belligerent he came in full of partisan venom he was yelling he was pounding his pen on the table He showed a lack of judicial temperament, someone as biased and as uncontrolled in his rage. His temperament is just not suited. It really made me question his fitness for this office, for the fact that he does not have the temperament. Filled with rancor and rage, animus and arrogance. And I think that the kind of temperament is reflective of those allegations as well. All of a sudden, his anger is triggered. And what we saw today is someone who you could now see attacking a woman. It's very frightening. I don't know if these idiots all believe what they're saying or if they're just saying what they think is going to get them the most acclaim on the left. But 
How do they think that somebody should react to being called a gang rapist with no evidence? To having their their life ruined on national TV, the reputation destroyed. I mean, what do they, they really think you sit there and say, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. I, I just disagree with your assessment. Remember that he gave an interview earlier in the week where he was very measured, very calm, you know, even tone the whole time on Fox. And they were saying, that's not how a guilty person, I mean, an innocent person reacts. He must be guilty. So then he goes in there and he's like, well, the fix is definitely in. I'm at least going down fighting and gave an incredible performance. And what it really is, is they're, they're just they're just now acting like a bunch of spoiled brats because they didn't get their way. They thought they had him. They thought after that at the Ford testimony, he was going to get his nomination was going to get yanked. And he came out there and he stole from them what they thought they had just with all their all their little schemes and their coordination behind the scenes. The left media, the Democrats, they all thought they had it. And then Kavanaugh just said, nope. Not yet. Not yet. His his temperament is bad. He's been a judge for how long now? He's been a, he's been on the D.C. Court of Appeals, which is the second most important, the second most important court of the country after the Supreme Court. And as Brewster Mike points out, he kept his cool, even though people were acting like complete savages during the hearing. I mean, these protesters. Ah! screaming and acting like total maniacs kept his cool through all that kept his cool through so much stuff doesn't get credit for any of that though you know no one's sitting around saying oh yeah you know he was really he was really cool about all that you know and he no of course not of course not the thing about Kavanaugh is you've seen how not just the narrative but the way that the media covers these things is always damned if you do damned if you don't you know Kavanaugh is too meek and and a little too subtle in his responses he's guilty kavanaugh is too angry too too uh fiery in his responses he's guilty it's because they're not assessing they're not judging anything they just hate him they just want him to not be on the supreme court and they know their audience in the case of the media doesn't want him to be on the supreme court so they'll say whatever they have to say they will pander shamelessly and utterly pander uh, with all this and and that's what you see happening here. Senator uh, Corbin for uh, Cornyn, not Corbin. Cornyn is uh, pointing out something that that I think should get a, a little bit more attention, which is that uh, there is still zero evidence. Play five. Well, we're expecting the FBI supplemental background investigation report at any time now, and this is something that a number of senators wanted to see. So, we've exhausted uh, the attempts to try to corroborate or not uh, what Dr. Ford had said and what others have said. Uh, so far, uh, we've got no corroboration. Senator McConnell said once senators have had a chance to uh, read the report, then we'll be voting uh, on the confirmation this week. Unfortunately, this uh, confirmation process has turned into something very different from what we'd ordinarily expect, and I think it's really more like a three-ring circus, and I say that with all apologies to, uh, uh, to circuses. Uh, but we need to vote on this nomination and we need to get it done uh, this week. He's right. They need to vote. They need to get it done this week. But understand this. There's a lot of time between now and Friday. I, I still have. I still have. I still have concerns over this one. <laughs> the Democrats, you think at this point they're going to say, OK, you know what? Fine, we've thrown it. You know, we're we're close here to the end. We've thrown everything we can at Kavanaugh. 
We've completely disgraced ourselves. Maybe it's time to just give in here. Nope. That is not what they're doing. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be tomorrow. There's going to be one more thing. And not a, Avenatti's a joke. So it's not going to be Avenatti. But did you see this? Uh, there's, this there's this fake Avenatti advertisement that's going around. It's a, it's a TV app. We've got the audio. Play that, too. Play 18. Have you slipped and fallen or accidentally been gang raped or even sexually assaulted? Even if you didn't really, you may be entitled to free publicity. At Avenatti and Avenatti, we troll for troubled women and exploit them for every ounce of her media that we can manage. Remember that porn star you didn't really sleep with? Well, what are you waiting for? At Avenatti and Avenatti, we don't get publicity until you get publicity. Haven't suffered any high crimes or sex demeanors? No problem. Our team of publicity professionals will help trigger your memory so we find something suitably salacious for the major media to eat right up. We get you the publicity we deserve. Because at Avenatti and Avenatti, we put the Avenatti back into Avenatti. Call 1-900-PORN-LAW to speak to an attorney now. It's 1-900-PORN-LAW. Calls are just $3,000 a minute. Ah, Avenatti. Gotten so much free press from particularly CNN, but also MSNBC. Uh, and and the, the the fact that he put his name or was in, well, I should say he was involved with that Swetnick allegation. I mean, I knew that was garbage. The day that that happened, I was calling conservative friends of mine in the media just saying, are, are we living in some alternate universe? Who believes this? Who believes this? This is just this is just nonsense. There's just no way. Well, we're supposed to forget that, too. They keep doing this and doing this and doing this, and we're supposed to act like we don't see the coordination, see the broad spectrum effort from the left to try to take down Kavanaugh. It is just, uh, it's as appalling as it gets. They're going to try and make this also about not just his temperament, but you know his, his drinking, the suggestion that he must be some kind of secret alcoholic. Uh, worth noting, everybody, the Democrats will do anything and say anything, including attacking you for beer that you drank when you were in high school, for things that you wrote on your yearbook page. Just remember that the next time you know, someone's telling you, oh, Trump is Trump is so mean. He's so out of line. He does all this stuff that is so coarse and nasty. Trump's got nothing on the Democrats when it comes to fighting dirty. He's just impervious to most of their dirty tactics. That's what this is really about. Oh. Man, it is. You know, last week, he, last week, Kavanaugh was a rapist. This week, it's that he drank too much beer in, you know, 30 years ago, and they just don't like him. They think that he's mean. I would say that we could ignore this safely, but the truth is, when you've got somebody like Jeff Flake out there who could bail at any point in time, you just don't know. Um, by the way, Lindsey Graham is still, Lindsey Graham is still out and about fighting the fight i i I was sort of surprised to see the lindsey graham hasn't really backed off yet he's still he was at an a festival for the atlantic the atlantic which is a thing that you should all know because it's the place where they hired kevin williamson one of the best living editorial writers of the day uh, on either side left or right and then fired him after his first article not for what he wrote but because of some tweets on abortion from years ago, because he is very pro-life. And as somebody who was adopted, I believe he is even more pro-life than many on the left realize. Um, but that's the Atlantic, that that bastion of intellectual courage. Lindsey Graham went in there and uh, 
He did some donuts in their front yard. Play 11. So President Trump went through a factual rendition that I didn't particularly like, and I would tell him, knock it off. You're not helping. I don't like what the president said last night. I'm the first person to say, I want to hear from Dr. Ford. I thought she was handled respectfully. I thought Kavanaugh was treated like crap. Yeah, well, boo yourself. <laughs> well, boo yourself. That's right. Lindsay's ready to throw down. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow? Do you, do you agree with me that something is, they're just waiting on something to, uh, to unleash, to muddy up the waters, to make things more complicated, to try and either delay or just get that one last push to frighten Flake and Murkowski from, from voting for Kavanaugh? Do you think that's the case, too? 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK on the lines. Let me know what you think. We've got this and a whole lot more. I am excited to talk to you. To give you a little bit of preview of this, in the third hour today of the show, we're going to discuss this project of a bunch of left-wing academics. And they decided that some left-wing disciplines are just so bereft of, of any intellectual integrity that you can write the craziest stuff you can come up with as long as it sounds right, uses the right jargon and and is about people being victimized and victimology, you can get it published. After it being peer-reviewed by other PhDs, you can get it published. There's some crazy, crazy stuff in there. Um, you will definitely want to stick around for that because it, it's indicative of, of why we're in this moment when we can't, we can't count on the so-called elites and, and the... When I say the educated class, the overeducated, because getting a Ph.D. for most people is a waste of time. Uh, it's like being a student until you're 30. The, the overeducated among us cannot be counted on to be reasonable or rational. Why is that? What's really going on behind the scenes of the academy? We'll get into that and much more. 844-900-BUCK on the lines. Stay with me. I think I was a thug <laughs> for uh for a big part of my uh, growing up, I, I, I was, uh, I think I was a very typical, uh, uh, gregarious, uh, mischievous child as a as a young boy. Got into fights. I uh, drank and did uh, and 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 consumed uh, substances that. Uh, weren't always legal. Uh, yeah, I might uh, drink a six-pack uh, in an hour before uh, uh, before going back to class, uh, things like that. When Obama talked to the media about his predilection for illegal drugs, fighting, in his own words there, a, being a thug when he was younger, it was evidence of a kind of uh, authenticity and I guess a charm. You know, he, oh, yeah, that's right, Obama, he was living living life on the wild side back in the day. And we also know that he admitted it to doing cocaine, which I would say is in a different category for most people than alcohol or even marijuana, right? Cocaine is, that's a whole step above. And no one had any issue with it, in the media at least. Nobody, and some of you might have had an issue with it, but the media didn't have any issue with it. And now we're supposed to be upset because Kavanaugh was drinking beer? That's what this is really about? So behavior that involved uh, all kinds of illegal stuff that Obama did was held up as being cool. By the way, I know I'm just going to say this, and 
is just my my sense of it. I got no, I got no evidence for back, backing this up. You know, you could say maybe Buck's credible when he says this. Maybe he's not. I don't believe that Obama got into fights. I don't believe it. I think he said it because he thinks it makes him sound cool. I don't believe that Obama got into fights. You can tell me I'm crazy, but nope. Strikes me as uh, just I don't, I don't see it. I don't know, and I can never prove it one way or the other. But just when he said it, I said, nah, not really. I don't think I don't think Obama's been in a fist fight in his whole life. That would be my guess. Um, but then again, I'm just going based on what's credible, folks. I don't I don't have any evidence one way or the other. I'm just going based on what I think is credible here. But the double standard problem is a very big one, whether we're talking about the Clintons and the sexual stuff that went on uh, with, with Bill Clinton, whether we're talking about the way the media treated Bill Clinton's accusers versus the way the media treats Blasey Ford and Blasey Ford is sacrosanct. Why? Why can't we look into her past? Why? She, she's made herself a, a center of national attention. She did not have to do this. I, I also have never her civic duty. That was the justification for all this. It was her civic duty. Really? Who believes that? She's an ideologue. She's a le- she's a left wing partisan. And she thought she had a chance to take out a a game changing Supreme Court fifth vote that would have gone. Not even that conservative, by the way. I think Kavanaugh. I mean, don't even get me started on this. I think Kavanaugh is going to be much closer to Roberts than a lot of people realize. You know, Roberts is the one who saved Obamacare. I don't think that Kavanaugh. I think Kavanaugh is going to have a kind of you know judicial minimalism approach, unlike what the left goes for, which is well, I like this, and so now's my opportunity to make it the law of the land. I don't think that that's what you can expect from Kavanaugh at all. Uh, but you know, Obama's past shortcomings, foibles, illegal activity, whatever. That was all charming and great and, you know, evidence that Obama was cool. Uh, Bill Clinton's, you know, sexual improprieties, which, by the way, I would say are in a whole different category of anything that Obama did. I'm not trying to see. I I can make these distinctions. The left will say, yeah, Kavanaugh is like Bill Cosby because they're idiots. Uh, You know, what Obama did is probably pretty normal teenager and young adult stuff. I'm not trying to say that he was. I think, honestly, he was overstating it, if anything, to sound cool. Uh, what Bill Clinton did when he was a full-grown adult and governor of Arkansas and then later president was disgusting and illegal and, and horrific, and the media covered for him for eight years. Really, you, you look back to the way that the media dealt with Bill Clinton and the sex abuse and sex scandals surrounding him, and it's what gave us the conservative media that we have. You could even argue that people like me, I mean, the, the careers that we have now and the outlets that we have and the alternative means of getting information out there exist. The Drudge Report and talk radio and they exist the way they do because the media sold its soul for Bill Clinton in the 90s. So, you know, this stuff is not distant memory. This is not. And remember, well, people say, oh, the Clintons, that was a long time ago. Well, we're talking about. Kavanaugh allegations that stretch back from 35 years ago. So I don't really want to hear the, oh, that was a long time ago thing now. Oh, we've got more on this. We're going to talk about the economy and Iran and what's going on with Iraq and a lot of other important topics coming up in the next hour. So stay with me. It's an honor and a privilege to bring you my thoughts on the things that matter to us as Americans every day. Well, you know, your opinion matters too, folks. I listen to them all the time here on the show, but you should be able to reach out to each other as well. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a new social media site with none of the left wing bias. 
snippy.com. If you're frustrated with the discourse on your social media pages and looking for an alternative take on conventional conversation, Snippy is it. The founders have created a forum where people can express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything without fear of shadow banning or undermining your point of view based on appeals to conversational health or whatever left wing nonsense they're throwing out this time. Snippy.com is a place where discussion is valued. It is free to join, open to all. Folks, check it out for yourself. No suppression, no left-wing bias. Snippy.com, that's S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Again, S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. They've tried to bully and intimidate us. One of our colleagues and his family were effectively run out of a restaurant in recent days by these people. Another reported having protesters physically block his car door. And some have seen organized far-left protesters camp out at their homes. I'm not suggesting we're the victims here, Mr. President, but I want to make it clear to these people who are chasing my members around the hall here, or harassing them at the airports, or going to their homes, we'll not be intimidated by these people. There is no chance in the world they're going to scare us out of doing our duty. I don't care how many members they chase, how many people they harass here in the halls. I want to make one thing perfectly clear. We will not be intimidated by these people. That's important to remember. It's not just that there are arguments that are being made here about Kavanaugh that are dishonest and that are wrong. It's that there are threats around all this there are there are people on the left who are trying to use coercion and outright bullying and menacing in order to get their way i mean it was a terrible thing that the media was obviously celebrating when jeff flake got cornered in that elevator and you know like like a like a dog who was being told you know not to go on the rug again just had to look at his feet it was a terrible thing that that was held up as, oh, that was the game-changing moment. It was horrible. It's encouraging that kind of behavior, screaming at people in public. Ugh. It's gross. Oh, there was another thing that, that came up in this uh, in this whole debacle that I don't know if I mentioned on the show or not, but there was a, a doxing of senators. All their personal information, phone numbers, where they live, was put out from somebody within Capitol Hill. That was how it was initially reported. So now you have somebody who works for the government, works in Congress in some capacity, who put out the information of Republican senators in order to make them obviously easier targets for the kind of coercion and bullying and following into restaurants, all the stuff that we've seen, all the stuff that gives us a reminder that the Democrat Party of today is the party of Antifa, deplatforming, trigger warnings. You know, it's the party of socialism, collective guilt, identity politics, radical feminism, intersectionality, and 37 genders, 35 of which don't exist. But on that doxing of senators that occurred, the U.S. Capitol Police I'm seeing here, and a little breaking news came up on my radar, have arrested somebody named Jackson Costco, 27 years old, 
on a whole bunch of federal charges, including uh, making public restricted personal information, uh, threats in interstate communication, unauthorized access of a government computer, identity theft, all this stuff. Uh, And he works for who wants to take a guess? Works for Sheila Jackson Lee, another member of Congress. So a congressional staffer has now been arrested and uh, is going to be charged with a whole bunch of things because he thought it would be. I don't know, helpful to the resistance to dox a bunch of senators. This stuff cannot be allowed to happen. It was not more than, uh, you know, 15 months ago that James Hodgkinson tried to track down and murder a whole bunch of conservative members of Congress. We cannot encourage people that then take their politics, take their psychotic beliefs, their leftist delusions, and then act upon them in the public sphere in this way. Go after people, to menace people, to stalk people. That's just... And there is no analogous response on the right. It does not exist. This is a problem of the left. Speaking of delusions and doxing and fixations of different kinds, here's what the New York Times spent its ink on today, so to speak. Trump engaged in suspect tax schemes as he uh, reaped riches from his father. It is very unusual for me to find myself trying to read a front page newspaper story, you know, at at a paper like this, the New York Times, right, big national paper, and find myself barely able to get through it. Uh, This is, I think it was 12,000 words long is what I saw. I mean, this is like a novella about Trump. And and here's the short version, but I'll, I'll get into what they're really trying to say. Or what what the purpose of all this is. They're saying that Trump isn't self-made and that Trump and his whole family were engaged in, quote, suspect tax schemes. Now, is Trump self-made? Not if not if you're going to say that he pulled himself up by his bootstraps and didn't get any money from his family. Of course not. He got money from his family, inherited a very large real estate portfolio. And, you know, he was born rich. No question about it. Has he built an an international brand, an internationally recognizable brand that did not exist uh, based on what he had been given inherited? Of course. And did he inherit a political future? Did anyone ever think he'd become president of the United States? No. So I I don't think this is nearly as potent a criticism as the New York Times thinks it is. Right. But they're saying, oh, his books and the art of the deal and all this stuff is is uh, hokum. Right. It's all bunk. It's nonsense. Then there's the other part of it. And there's when I say excruciating detail, I really mean it. They're like, and then he, you know, bought a whole bunch of whiteout to use for some paperwork back in 1987. And then he, I mean, they're just, man, this is an exhaustive. They say it's based on 100,000 pages plus of documents and interviews and all this stuff. I mean, it felt like I was reading 100,000 pages of it myself. Reading this is a front page New York Times story. You know, their audience. You could only be reading this and could only care about this because they have Trump derangement syndrome. And this was, in a sense, a Trump derangement syndrome manifesto. Because nobody could care that much about what Fred Trump, Donald Trump's father, did in terms of his business dealings really 30 years ago, 
20 years ago? You know, where does Trump's wealth come from? And I couldn't help but read through this and and come to this. This this kept popping up in my head today as I was. Yes, that's right. I was lying by a pool in Las Vegas for a while. It was nice, you know, getting a little bit of sun. Although after about five minutes, I go, too much sun for me. I have to get in the shade. My Irish skin doesn't do well with it. But I couldn't help but think, imagine if they had done this kind of a deep dive into the finances of the Clinton crime family. Imagine if they had really spent effort looking into what the Clinton Foundation did and did not do, what ways the Clintons were able to uh, leverage the funding that they were getting ostensibly for charitable purposes in order to support different aspects of their lifestyle. Right? Right. I've never seen a comprehensive media deep dive by any newspaper or any TV organization into what was really going on with the Clintons with the how is it that the Clintons were worth a hundred million dollars within a decade of leaving the White House? A hundred million dollars plus. And remember to have that, you know, you gotta make about a hundred and sixty, hundred and seventy million to have to be worth have a net worth of a hundred million. How'd they make all this money? What is it? they didn't they didn't own a company. They didn't create a product. How'd they make all this money? It's it's astonishing when you think about it. Oh, oh, by giving speeches? Wow. That's some really amazing speechifying. I gave the best. That was kind of I'm sounding a little more like Jar Jar Binks instead of Hillary. My my Hillary is getting a little rusty, folks. I gotta do more Hillary impersonations. Um I did an Ariana impersonation out here at the conference. Darling, why aren't you doing more yoga and stretching? And everybody loved it. So, see, Ariana can appear anytime you need her to. But they're talking about all these different Trump tax schemes. And here's here's what is so dirty about this. It reminds me in a sense of what they've done to Kavanaugh, too. All this is past the statute of limitations. So so they can say, oh, you know, we we think that he's a tax cheat and a criminal, which we know. Harry Reid said about Mitt Romney not long ago as well, and it was a total lie, but he said it on the floor of the Senate, so he couldn't be sued for it. He's, he's legally free to say whatever he wants there, and it was intended to just be a political black eye for Romney that Harry Reid gave him, and that was, the whole, that was what it was. The New York Times says that Trump was engaged in these tax schemes, that Trump was doing all this, uh, you know, shady behind-the-scenes uh, evading of what was due the government. And I mean, Fred Trump here and Trump, uh, Donald Trump as well. They're saying this and we turn around and say, well, hold on a second. This will never be adjudicated. This will never see the inside of a court. So how do we know if they're telling the truth about this or not? Is, is anyone really going to dive into this hundred thousand pages? And also what does a shady tax dealing really mean? Do they have them dead to rights on tax evasion? No, of course not. They're saying that he, you know, he did this and that and tried to find all these different ways to avoid paying taxes, really. And avoidance of taxes is not criminal. Avoidance of taxes is taking advantage of the fact that the tax code is 70,000 plus pages. It's a mess. It's a disaster. But liberals don't want to change it because they like it. And the government likes it. And Republicans, unfortunately, in the Congress like it, too, because that's the single biggest way that they can influence policy and engage in doling out favors to people, which is the tax code. I mean, you make changes to the tax code, you change the whole country. You got to pass legislation. You need the other side for that. People pay attention. That can be harder. 
changes in the tax code, giving people carve-outs and giveaways. Why is it 70,000 pages? Because it's a way for the Congress to pick winners and losers and do favors for donors. So Trump tries to leverage this the way that a lot of other folks do, too, or he has in the past. Do I think it's good? No, I think we should have a flat tax. And people say, no book, a fair tax, whatever, something like that. It should be on a postcard. That was one of the things I really did like about the Cruz candidacy. I will say that. He was very opposed to the IRS and the way that it currently is constituted. But this piece on Trump is just, it's boring, it's long-winded, and there's not nearly as much there there as they'd like to think, even though they've said they've gone through 100,000 pages. Man, it must be, must be, must get tiresome to be such a, a relentless Trump hater after a while. But at the New York Times, I guess this is just, this is what, pushes them on you know this is what gets them going they really just want to focus in on how terrible trump is at all times however they can whenever they can and uh, they never get tired of it you know it is awesome though the economy something i want to talk to you about next we'll get into some national security third hour we'll talk about these crazy academic papers that give you a little window into the loony left that's all coming up With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. That's why I decided to take back my privacy using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. You turn on ExpressVPN, and the protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN allows you to protect yourself at a cost of less than $7 a month. And if you don't want to hand over your online history to your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is your answer. Protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com buck. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package. Uh, Well, the market's up. I think you might have noticed that. The economy is rocking and rolling. And I'm telling you, uh, it's not me saying this, but now you've got the Federal Reserve. And let let me explain to people who are watching. The Federal Reserve printed $4.5 trillion on the Obama administration to keep the economy afloat. They are the most powerful entity in the world. They can make or break our economy, and right now they love what they're seeing, and I think they're going to play ball. You had great comments yesterday from Jerome Powell, and then overnight this morning, uh, another voting member, Charles Evans, saying that not only is this economy great, but he thinks it's going to last for a few years. A few years. A few years. That's right. That's how long this Trump economy could extend off into the horizon with prosperity and growth and everybody who's working, who's productive, have more money in their pockets. That's what that's what could happen here. That's what could be the future. Or we could have Democrats take the House, try to just gum up the works, mess things up, ruin stuff. I, you know, it, I would like to think that we would judge politicians and political parties by the results of their policies. But that's just naive, isn't it? That's just silly, Buck. No, what they want to do is judge them based on how it lines up with their ideology. And just like that that old trope of, oh, well, the, the, the problem with communism is that it's never been properly implemented. No, that is wrong. I don't know why Kermit the Frog is the one who's all of a sudden a communism expert, but that is wrong. The problem with communism is communism. 
The problem with the redistribution of wealth is that it does not increase overall wealth or productivity. It just allows certain people in the system to advance themselves at the expense of others. Redistributing wealth is not a good idea. People who say things like, oh, but, but, but Social Security is socialism. No, that is that is false. Social Security is not socialism. Um, Social Security is merely the government giving back to you, at least in theory, money that it has taken from you. Some people would call that restitution. Uh, some people would say that Medicare, which you've been paying Medicare taxes your whole life, is also restitution. Although I will say that Medicare is, in fact, a redistribution of wealth in its own right because uh, Medicare recipients take out twice as much on average as they put in over the course of their lifetimes. But that's an intergenerational fight we will have another day. The economy is roaring. The fact that here we are and we're being told over and over again that in the midterms, the Democrats are going to take the House and maybe even the Senate. Why? Based on what? You know, Amazon just decided that they're going to give all full-time 250,000 employees that they have, right? Amazon's a massive company, $15 minimum wage. Other companies could follow suit. You know why they're able to do this? Because they've got more money now, because of the corporate tax cut. So now we might even have wages across the board for workers on the upswing. Wages going up now in, in, in real fashion. And greater investment, greater hiring, greater productivity. What else do we really want from the government? Oh, yeah, I'd like to have a wall. I'd like to have secure borders. I'd like to have an end to the continued illegal immigration in this country. But I, I, I just look around. This is the huge disconnect, especially as we've been in this this all out bare knuckle brawl over Kavanaugh and, you know, whether, it, you know, sexual assault and all this different stuff. As we look at this, um, I, I just say to myself, why are they all the left is so upset I have to think that maybe they're so angry because things are going well and it's not their guy who's running the show or gal. In this case, it would be the gal. You know who? You know who it would be. Hello? I know you miss her. You miss Hillary. She's coming back on the scene. Don't worry. She's going to be back. That much I can assure you of. So, the, you know, the, I know that it, there's a little part of it that feels like, Buck, come on, you're not trying to do this recurring segment of like how great the economy is by Buck Sexton. But I, I do feel like it's worth at least a couple minutes of our time because that's necessary context for all the other stuff, all the other political conversations that are happening right now, all the minutia and the nastiness and the deep platforming and the Antifa and all this crap. Whenever you think about that, keep in mind that that doesn't really, that shouldn't really matter. That stuff is all a distraction. That's just, that's just really a an emotional breakdown, a, a mass emotional breakdown of the progressive left that's happening in real time. On the things, on the issues that matter, we are not at war in terms of active military hostilities. We do not have a massive occupation of a foreign country with an insurgency uh, waging against us, raging against us underway. We have a, an economy that's doing fantastically well. We have a mainstream media that's being held to account in ways they never have before. I mean, the media has shown us last couple of weeks. If they're not the enemy of the people, they're definitely not on our team. Well, you know, I have people who complain so much. Yeah, I know it has some totalitarian twang to it when you say enemy of the people because it was a, a phrase in the Soviet Union. But on the merits, it's true. Media is a bunch of liars, a bunch of clowns. Somebody finally will say it out. Somebody with a megaphone that's big enough that they can't ruin him or shut him down. Or shout them down. 
They're losing power. That's what this whole thing is about. That's why they're so upset. I think that's a great thing for the country. I think people should be much more discerning and honest, or rather discerning about where they get the information and expect greater honesty and the people giving it to them. You know, if CNN wants to say we are an arm of the DNC, which they are, and that's our that's what we do day in and day out is give you Democrat news. Uh, I would say, OK, this is a big step in the right direction. I would lay off them quite a bit if they did that. MSNBC is treated that way, whether they're open about that or not. But The New York Times, The Washington Post should on their front pages be willing to say, yeah, we're we are uh, we're essentially party organs. We are tied to the Democrat Party because they are. And, and that doesn't mean that they can't tell the truth. They can't have accurate facts. It just means that they're telling you what their perspective is and what their what their leanings are, what their political leanings are. So, you know, I, I find all of that uh, to be what should happen. And Trump is helping that happen. So I, there's so much that's good that's happening right now. And I just I do like to take a moment to remind us all of that, especially as we get ready for this political season. where You're going to be told all kinds of lies. Oh, Trump. Yeah. Don't vote for Trump because racism. That's what they're going to say. Because sexism. This isn't an argument. The Democrats don't have an argument. What they really have coming to the midterms is just one massive tantrum. What do you say? I want you to be my VP. I want you. You're my vice. Well, George, I, uh, I'm the CEO of a large company. And I have been Secretary of Defense. And I have been White House chief of staff the vice presidency is a mostly symbolic job uh-huh. however if we came to a uh, different understanding okay so that's from the trailer of a movie that i wish there was a way that i could bet on it flopping because i i would put i would put all my money on this movie being a bomb at the box office if i could if there was a way to do that, unfortunately, it's not that straightforward. But this movie is is destined for the turd heap, and and it's it's just indicative of of so many things that you're seeing right now with the way that the the media freak out. They, they never rein it in, you know. They they never they never pull it back a little bit. They're they're just always in this mode of like, oh my god, what's going on? And Bush and Cheney and Halliburton. Uh, so that movie is Vice. Where you have Christian Bale, who most of you will know better as Batman. I'm Batman. Uh, I always thought it was weird in the movies. It was, yes, I'm going to talk like this to disguise my voice. It's kind of weird. You know, just maybe just talk. You're, you're already wearing a weird rubber costume with bat ears. Maybe just talk. You don't have to do the weird voice thing. Uh, I, I, I know. Batting down the hatches, folks, because here's some buck bombs that are about to get dropped. I think that the Christopher Nolan Batman movies are entertaining i think the first one was a very cool rethink and reboot of the franchise um but i think they go in descending order of how good a movie they are to like a minus b plus and then maybe b minus that's right i said it that third movie with oh burn people have got from that whole thing that movie stunk movie makes no sense there's about a thousand things throughout the course of the movie you're like huh well why would he do that or that doesn't make any sense or huh how are these cops living underground all this time? And why would they be able to run at a bunch of guys armed with machine guns and try to punch them and think that that it's so dumb? It, it, the movie, I know you're getting mad at me right now. Everybody's getting mad. 
It doesn't matter. I'm telling you the truth. Buck speaks truth to power. And the Batman movies are overrated. I'm not saying they're bad. The first two are good, and Heath Ledger is incredible as the Joker in the second movie, R.I.P. Um, but they're not these amazing things. I mean, and the movie Inception is just crap, which I think you know is another Christopher Nolan movie. Everyone goes, oh, Inception, it's so cool. And no, it's not. It's just a lot of weird slow motion. It's like a bad MTV uh, music video or something. Inception was garbage. But you, you might be wondering, why make this movie? Who makes this movie? And why is Christian Bale playing Cheney? I will say it's a pretty good, you know, he obviously gained a bunch of weight for it. And it, he's a pretty good likeness for Cheney. That's that's true. Uh, but he's not, you know, he's not going to convince anybody he's Dick Cheney in this, I, I think. Although the the side-by-side photo, okay, all right, I see this. The side-by-side photo is pretty good. I'm just always very annoyed about British people who think that they can sound like Americans. They can do regional accents somewhat, but they can't actually just sound like British people can't sound like me. That I will say that they, they never they never pull off sounding like people that have kind of a generalized American accent. Was, oh, hey, my name's Bob. I'm from Chicago. The, hey. the, the worst is Colin Farrell. He's the dude. He's terrible. He, he cannot. His Irish accent comes through in everything oh, he does. He's terrible. He's like, oh, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm Sonny Crockett. I mean, yeah, I'm Sonny Crockett. Yeah. yeah. It's almost my, comical. My, like, he's doing it on purpose. My daddy took a chance on me. I'm like, have you, have you seen the Miami Vice movie that he was in? He's so terrible. Yeah. He's got a weird blonde mullet. His accent's like, yeah, you know, here I am. I'm talking like this all the time because that's how. I'm like, no, no, stop. He's awful. By the way. Why was he ever in any movies? It's a whole other conversation. But so, but so Mike, what I, what I wanted to tell all the folks listening is that this movie where you've got Chaney, uh, what, what is going to be new in this movie? The answer is nothing. You know, this reminds me of that movie that uh, this is an Oliver Stone movie, isn't it? Like, you can just tell it's Oliver Stone. It's just a, it's just going to be crap lousy to the to the 10th degree. Oh, no, it's directed by Brian Miller and written by anyway. Who cares? Oh, no, that's a different movie. That's a different vice. This is a new vice. Um, anyway, the point is they're obsessed still with Cheney as like the Dark Lord. This movie is going to stink. No one is going to see this. It has A-list actors in it. Doesn't matter. It's not going to be that interesting because the people that control the levers of power in Hollywood, and this is not new. We've talked about this a million times. It's been a discussion going on now for almost 20 years. Yeah, Adam McKay is the writer-director. Sorry, I thought it was. Oliver Stone did the W movie, which was also just, just terrible. Even though that Josh Brolin in it, who's a pretty good actor, terrible movie. These movies bomb. You know, Michael Moore just made his Fahrenheit 11.9 movie, just trying to recapture the glory of the earlier days of his propaganda efforts. Why do they keep doing this? Why do they subject us to movies that are, are really just versions of editorials that they want to write? I mean, that, that's what this is. It is the lib version of history, according to lib directors and writers and you know, screenwriters and actors. And America doesn't want to see this. Nobody, not even left-wing people want to see this because it's just not going to be good. But I, I, you could say, Buck, why are you spending, you know, we got all this other stuff to discuss and dive into. I say, why are you spending your time on this? Because it's indicative, folks, of how detached they are, how detached the left has become from objective reality. They're making, they made this Fahrenheit 11.9 movie, total bomb. They made the W movie years after Bush's presidency, total bomb. They make this Vice movie, total, total bomb. It's going to be a bomb. And they don't care. 
because they think that all that really matters is that they did it. You know, yeah, man, we were doing it. We continued our our twilight struggle against Cheney, man. Like, yeah, no, false. Cheney is not a not a factor in American politics anymore. People do not care about this movie, but they have a, a, a fixation. There is a fixation on bashing Republicans through pop culture. And the reason that they can do it and continue to do it is that those who write the checks for these things, the people who are behind these these efforts in Hollywood uh, will give them a pass on the fact that there's economic downside to it. Right? They'll say, OK, you're going to lose all this money. Eh, it's, at least you did the right thing by trying to smear Republicans and rewrite history. It just gets so frustrating. There's there's so many movies and things that I would like to see or that I would like to see made. And here we are with Christian Bale pretending to be Dick Cheney. You know, do do you ever see a movie about a Democrat? Can you even think of a movie about a Democrat in recent history that was not a flattering portrayal? That guy made? No, of course not. We certainly would never see an unflattering. Oh, my gosh. Just just wait until they start making the first Obama movies. I wonder if they're really going to do a CGI halo as he walks around or if it'll just be implied. I think they might go... He's going to float, dude. Exactly. We're going to see scenes where Obama is like one second. He's, you know, he's hanging out with all kinds of cool celebrities. You know, he's chilling out with Lindsay Lohan and Beyonce. And then he's like walking on water on his way to the White House. It's just going to be such garbage. And this is what this is what we have to deal deal with. This is what we have to stomach. I mean, I'm not going to see this movie. Nobody's going to see this movie, but it's so obvious, right? We all know that it's crap. So why would they make the movie? That's right, because their lib friends and their lib colleagues in Hollywood, they'll still get the, you know, Christian Bale can still be in big Hollywood movies, big budget pictures and all that. But now he's got credibility among the left wing directors and writers. Now, now they think that he's, you know, on the team for what really matters here. And what really matters is that you're making movies that make Republicans look bad, that trash the Republican Party, that show Cheney as some kind of evil behind the scenes. This is, isn't even true. That's the other part that's so frustrating and annoying. You know, they made a movie about Harvey Milk, as I understand it. They didn't really get into all the stuff that was going on with Harvey Milk's background. Not that I'm an expert, but uh, you know, they make some of these movies. They made that movie about Ted Kennedy, and it was a it was a pretty good movie for what it was because it really showed you what the facts of that situation were. And, you know, Libs didn't want to touch that. They don't. That's a really interesting story. You know, oh, my gosh. I, you're you're going to see Mike. They're going to show you Cheney shooting some guy in the face. I can see it now. It was a hunting accident with a 20 gauge shotgun bird hunting. And they're going to make it seem like Cheney's like <laughs> as he shoots somebody in the face because they're maniacs. And George Bush will be an idiot. Yeah, of course. And George Bush will be like, oh, I can't do anything. I can't do 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 I mean, it's just we, I could write the script myself. It's going to be please clap. Exactly. It's going to be total, total trash. All right, let's talk national security because this Cheney thing is just, it just was a little bee in my bonnet today. Not that I wear bonnets. Although, not that there's anything wrong with that. Mr. Ambassador, you just uh, addressed Palestine and said it is a so-called state. Is that language productive in achieving the president? It's accurate. So, but the president recommitted to, um, the, the president... In New York City, as you know, recommitted his goal to achieving a two-state solution. That's right. So, um, 
is using that sort of language productive in his goal? Yeah, sure, of course. It's not a state now. It does not meet the customary international law test of statehood. Uh, it doesn't control defined boundaries. Uh, it doesn't fulfill the, the normal functions of government. There are a whole host of reasons why it's not a state. It could become a state, as the president said, but that requires uh, 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 diplomatic negotiations with Israel and others. So calling it the so-called State of Palestine defines exactly what it has been, a position that the United States government has pursued uniformly uh, since 1988 when the Palestinian Authority declared itself to be the State of Palestine. We don't recognize it as the State of Palestine. We have consistently, across Democratic and Republican administrations, opposed the admission of Palestine uh, to the United Nations as a state because it's not a state. Boom! That's right. I like it. Yeah, National Security Advisor Bolton there. Who's like, oh, I'm sorry, you you want to ask a, it's really not a question that that reporter asked. Is it really helpful for the president to say so-called state? Is that really productive? That's an, that's an attack. It's not really a question, right? Because she's already, she's telling us what she thinks, which is that it is unhelpful to refer to it as a so-called state. And I guess that reporter, I don't even know who it was. I just heard the audio. Whoever it is uh, was not prepared for the fact that Bolton actually knows what the heck he's talking about. And that there is no state of Palestine. It does not exist. That there's there's a reason why we don't talk about the state of Palestine, because there is no state of Palestine. And yet all these reporters, if you were to ask them, it's, it's amazing to me how many left wing journo types will adopt the, the language that would be basically dictated for them by the PLO on any issue. I know the PLO is not there anymore. It's the PA, the Palestinian Authority. We could talk about all that another time. But you know what I'm saying? Man, that was that was quite a quite a little moment of correction there. I I have to say, Bolton's always been very sharp, very good on his feet. Apparently, as uh, he's quite a a bureaucratic infighter as well. You don't want to mess with that guy if you work for a place where where he's uh, he's got some some sway. Then you've got uh, also uh, I don't know why I just sounded like you've got uh, all of a sudden I sounded kind of Dutch or something. Uh, but then you have Mike Pompeo. Talking about Iran and what's going on here with uh, the Iranians acting out with embassy attacks. Uh, Play clip nine, please. We can see the hand of the Ayatollah and his henchmen supporting these attacks on the United States. On Friday, I ordered the temporary relocation of U.S. government personnel from our consulate general in Basra. I also warned the Iranian government that we will hold it directly responsible for any harm to Americans or our diplomatic facilities, whether perpetrated by Iranian forces or by associated proxies or elements of those militias. These latest destabilizing acts in Iraq are attempts by the Iranian regime to push back on our efforts to constrain its malign behavior. Clearly, they see our comprehensive pressure campaign as serious and succeeding. And we must be prepared for them to continue their attempts to hit back, especially after our full sanctions are reimposed, reimposed on the 4th of November. So let me tell you what's going on here. There was a rocket attack against the U.S. consulate in the southern Iraqi city of Basra. Now, Basra is in Shia, uh, Shia Iraq, if you will. It's down in the south. Very important for oil. You've got a lot of a lot of oil that, that flows through there. It's a port city. 
and there were rocket attacks on the U.S. consulate there. This this is the Iranians trying to clap back, if you will, the United States after we pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal and have put sanctions back in place. This has been a concern for a long time. The Iranians control militias uh, inside of Iraq. The Iranians are able to escalate violence in Iraq whenever they want. And they see this now as a way of just look, they haven't gone all out. yet. The, the, the violence that that could happen in Iraq, the sectarian violence is is pretty terrifying, really. It's it's horrifying what, what could go on there. This has been the concern all along, and it might devolve back into a state of essentially civil war like it was back in 2006, 2007 between Sunni and Shia in Iraq. And you've got the U.S. caught in the middle in some ways. We've got diplomatic personnel there, obviously military military trainers still there. Uh, but the, the Iranians are trying to show us that they can still cause problems for the Trump administration. And Pompeo, who is acting as a diplomat here, not a military man, is saying, look, it's not a not a not a good move, not a good plan for the Iranians to do this. We we expect them to engage in this kind of behavior. That doesn't obviously mean that we're going to be OK with it, though. Uh, the Iranians think that they can use paramilitaries and their proxy forces in places like Iraq to go after us, to turn up the heat on our interests. Uh, that's because they actually can't win this game of, well, we're just going to allow the economy to keep getting getting pummeled while we hope that the international community comes to our side. We hope that Trump, you know, the Iranians are hoping that Trump doesn't stay as president. You know, they've got all these different ways that they can try to rationalize what's going on there. At the end of the day, the Trump administration has taken a much tougher hand with Iran. The Iran deal, as Trump said when he was running for the presidency, was a terrible deal, badly negotiated, wasn't something that anybody should have been proud of or should have signed on to. And we're out. And now the Iranians are starting to try to find ways to, you know, just just to rattle, rattle the sword a little bit. You know, firing some rockets at our consulate is not an open declaration of war. They're going to say it's through. It's not, of course, Iranian soldiers. It's Iranian. It's Iran backed militias. But they take their orders from Iran and the IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. So it's really just a, a fig leaf that this isn't the Iranians firing rockets at our at one of our diplomatic facilities. So. Keep an eye on this one. Things could get uglier fast in Iraq, and uh, the Iranians, I think, are starting to get a little bit desperate. I want to tell you about Global Verification Network, folks. They are the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They are federally certified as a veteran-owned small business and independently certified by the National Veteran Business Development Council. They're the only minority spend certification recognized by the billion dollar roundtable. What this means is that they're the real deal, veteran owned and operated. You can trust them. They know what they're doing. And when you need an answer about a background check or some vetting, they're the people you want to be asking. They have risk mitigation experts across the country. They're headquartered in Chicago with offices across the nation. However large or small your business may be, call Global Verification Network and make them your background investigator. Go to mygvn.com. Dot com Again, that's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Global Verification Network. Leave no stone unturned. 
Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. What do you get when a couple of left-wing scholars decide that the echo chamber effect in the academy is too much, it's absurd, it's intellectually flimsy, and they want to prove it. Well, you might have an experiment that shows definitively that the most celebrated journals of certain areas of academic study will publish papers on things like whether dog park culture is in some way related to rape culture. That's right, folks. They, they're they trying to connect when dogs hump each other with toxic masculinity in human society. Oh, it gets crazier. It's going to get crazier. Don't think that that's it. And these are celebrated academic journals. I'm not I'm not picking random things here to point out that that are not representative of what could be generally called grievance studies. You know, let's take a step back for a moment. Why am I talking to you about a bunch of academic journals? Here's why. These academic journals of what we could call grievance studies, things like women and gender studies, black studies, uh, feminist studies, apparently uh, weight studies, you know, fat shaming and that sort of thing also fits into this categorization. Uh, All gender identity studies. These all are under the categorization in the Academy of Grievance Studies. They don't call it that, but we can call it that. And there's a whole separate language and framework for talking about these things. So these these scholars, this handful of scholars, Peter Bogosian is one of them, uh, also James Lindsay and Helen Pluck Rose, wrote intentionally over the course of a year the absolute craziest stuff they possibly could. I mean, the most intellectually indefensible, absurd on its face, laughable stuff to see if the most celebrated academic peer reviewed journals in those areas would pick them up or would realize what was going on. Who wants to guess what happened? About half, seven of the 14 academic papers they submitted were published. Some received awards. Now, remember, they weren't slipping some weird information to the papers these papers that they were writing were intentionally bonkers intentionally crazy but if you sound right when you're writing about these things if it sounds sort of like something that a person in the grievance studies category would say they will sure enough do this right they will publish it they'll go with it Seven of these papers were accepted in this. And for example, I mean, you're like, Buck, how crazy is this stuff? I mean, well, what are we really talking about? Is it just a lot of jargon? And so nobody read it. Oh, no, no, no. For example, there was a paper that said the following educational opportunity with a broader pedagogy of the progressive stack or pedagogy of the progressive stack on this point, experiential reparations in the classroom could be affected, for example, by inviting in an educational context white students to sit on the floor or to engage even more profoundly to wear chains around their shoulders, wrists or ankles for the duration of the course. 
My own students have found this initially awkward, but highly instructive after explaining its pedagogical role and inviting them to find comfort in the discomfort of it. Similarly, male students could be instructively spoken over and skeptically questioned about their qualifications to speak authoritatively on academic subjects in order to provide insight into problems commonly and historically faced by women in professional and educational settings. In my experience, privileged students are slower to warm to this experience and need its educational purpose made explicit. Okay, let's pull us. Let's put aside all the all the jargony nonsense for a second. This is a paper. <laughs> this is a paper in an academic peer reviewed. Other scholars, other PhDs read this and said, "Yeah, yeah, this is good." Saying that white students in this class should as a form of experiential reparation, sit on the ground during class and have to wear chains for the whole course. And this was, this was published. This was published. Here's another paper. Uh, this gets, gets crazier. The cycle, quote, the psychological harms attendant to the sexual objectification of women are well documented throughout the theoretical and empirical literature, but to date there's very little discussion on whether and when these harms and the routine behaviors that create them constitute a form of violence against women. By drawing upon empirical studies of psychological harms of objectification, especially through depersonalization, and exploring several veins of theoretical literature on non-physical forms of sexual violence, this article seeks to situate non-consensual male autoerotic fantasizing about women as a form of metasexual violence that depersonalize her, injures her being on an effective level, contributes to the consequent harms of objectification and rape culture and can only appropriate her identity for the purpose of male sexual gratification. It concludes that this commonplace male behavior is a site poorly studied for sexual violence against women that demands greater scholarly attention. Folks, my friends, this is an academic paper that is making a a philosophical and and serious argument. I don't know how else to say this. I know it's a family show. But that to think about a woman while engaged in self-pleasuring is an act of sexual violence against that woman. So, if you're taking an extra long time to shower and you have impure thoughts, you are committing an act of sexual violence now, according to this paper. Oh, that was published. They, uh, they, they like that one. Uh, Here's another paper. Our struggle is my struggle. This is the title. Solidarity feminism as an intersectional reply to neoliberal and choice feminism. You know what they did here? They rewrote a section of Hitler's Mein Kampf and changed out uh, some of the words with words that are common feminist jargon. Got got completely published. Whole thing. Thought it was great. Um, And and then the, the final, the single greatest piece to get published in a peer-reviewed academic journal of gender place and culture is the name of this peer-reviewed journal all these phds they read these submissions and they decide what goes out in this journal this is supposed to be the height of the academic profession in this area publishing in this kind of a journal the gender place and culture journal the title is human reactions to rape culture and queer performativity at urban dog parks in Portland, Oregon. And the abstract is, this article addresses questions in human geography, 
by drawing upon one year of embedded observations of dogs and their human companions at three dog parks in Portland, Oregon. The purpose of this research is to uncover emerging themes in humans and canine interactive behavior patterns in urban dog parks to better understand a moral decision making in public spaces and uncover bias and emergent assumptions around gender, race and sexuality. Specifically, how do human companions manage, contribute and respond to violence in dogs? What issues around queer performativity and human reaction to homosexual sex between and among dogs? And do dogs suffer oppression based upon gender? And then it gets into hegemonic masculinity and all this other stuff. Now, they're using a lot of jargon here. This paper, I actually read this paper. This paper is about uh, the observations of canine rape culture in a Portland dog park and what lessons there are for, for humanity from this. Dogs humping other dogs and what that teaches us about you. <laughs> it's true. This is the paper and what that teaches us about human beings. Published in a scholarly journal. In fact, in the comments... Oh, man, they've got some. They, they published the comments from the peer reviewers, from the other scholars in these areas. And one of them, the only problem that was really noted with this paper was uh, was that they they thought that it might be humiliating for some of the dogs to have their gender assessed, meaning that to know who was doing what to whom in the doggy park, you had to see, <laughs> you had to see whose doggy parts were what. And that might make the dogs feel weird. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's what's going on, man. I'm sorry. No, it was out of 20 papers. Seven of them were accepted for publication. Seven were still in process, though, so could have been accepted. Only six were rejected. So it was about half were rejected, half were accepted, and then some were still in process. Um, These were not the journals that you'd write in for getting, you know, uh, into a tenure track program at Harvard. But in these areas, these are considered serious journals um how anybody could think that these papers should have been published of i mean these these shouldn't have been acceptable papers to hand in if you were a student but if you talk about uh normativity and performativity and queer culture and gender identity and intersectionality and privilege and checking privilege and and uh, you know all all this this whole separate language that's really just a way of saying that there are some people that are oppressed and people are really mean to them. And we need to find ways to either justify their behavior or to attack those who are engaged in bad behavior against them. Uh, but it's it's a way of pushing a political agenda and wrapping it up in all this fancy terminology and words. But, yes, you can, in fact, in America today, write a, a scholarly work about dogs humping other dogs and other PhDs will read it and say, yeah, this is great stuff. As long as it talks about gender normativity and rape culture, it's great stuff. This explains a lot more about what's been going on the last month or so in this country than I think most people realize. The left really has lost its mind. It's time we help them try to find it. I can tell you what's not smart. Just hoping that you're going to get great applications for your job opening. You know what else isn't smart? putting it on one or two job postings somewhere, not really knowing who you're going to get and how quickly they're going to come into you. What is smart is going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. 
Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. I have colleagues that I work with now because of my ZipRecruiter account. We found the best people possible using this matching technology. You need to try it. You'll see. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, one more, ZipRecruiter.com slash B-U-C-K. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. He's one of my favorite columnists out there, folks. He also was one of my uh, earliest friends and mentors at TheBlaze.com. Mr. David Harsanyi is with us now. He is a uh, senior writer for The Federalist. He's got a new book out just this week, First Freedom, a ride through America's enduring history with the gun. Mr. Harsanyi, good to have you back. Thanks for having me, Buck. Is the name, by the way, what, Eastern European, Harsanyi, is that where it comes from? It is Hungarian. Yeah, yeah. that's what I, I, I had a Hungarian feeling. name, that's a good, yeah. Fun to say. All right, so <laughs> tell me tell me some things about, about this book. Uh, conservatives know about guns. There are some gun books out there. What are you telling us in this one? Well, most of the gun books out there, I noticed, were for sort of gearheads. I mean, gun owners are usually very into their guns, but I couldn't find something that, that sort of explored an accessible history of the culture uh, of the gun. So we talk about the ideology and the politics of it, but why is America different than Sweden or China or everywhere else? I mean, guns have been around all over the world. So I explore the history of and the relationship people have in America with a gun. And it's not just about war or hunting. I mean, I'm talking about commerce. I'm talking about ideology. And I'm talking about just the personal relationship people have had with guns throughout our history. So you're speaking to an audience who might, in fact, be cleaning their ARs as they're listening to this across the country. So what are some things that you write about in the book that they either could use a little a history refresher on or that they might not have known? Well, it starts, I think, with how how far back the the idea of self-defense and owning a weapon in your home goes. I mean, in many ways, that right and that idea as a natural right goes farther back than, than the than, than freedom of speech or freedom of religion, for sure. So I think people don't understand that it was brought over here by certain kinds of people and why it was so important to them early on. And then just going into some of the characters in American engineering and in commerce, like Sam Colt, who is just... This amazing character deserves his own huge biography. I think he's just one of the most interesting people in American history. Um, and Browning and others who sort of created just great innovators and, and, and engineers and self-taught and very American in how they did business. What's the most important thing, that uh, important legacy of Colt specifically? Oh, he changed, the, first of all, the interchangeable parts. I mean, he predated Ford, Henry Ford, in, in using interchangeable parts. He sort of drove the first industrial revolution in many ways up in Hartford. And um, he he could make, he made, first of all, he invented the revolver, basically. And that changed the way we thought about guns and shotguns. And then he changed the way he sold guns. He used, um, like, celebrities to help him sell it. He created this mythology around the product sort of reminded me in many ways of like how maybe Apple is today, you know, and uh, he used the press in, in ways that had not been used before the penny press and stuff like that. So he was just, and that's just aside from his engineering innovation, and he hired the best people around him at the time. So 
he was just an amazing character, really um, driven and smart. He's the first guy to open up a big plant in, in Europe. So, you know, for the first time, Americans were going there, and we were selling Europe things. So it's just interesting in many ways. Who's the second, who's the second most important uh, in, our, in our gun history in America? I mean, there's some names I'd throw out there, but I want to know who you think. I think Browning. I mean, I think John Browning is the the most important invent, gun inventor that ever lived. So, um, he was, what did he do? <laughs> he basically invented auto. I mean, so he invented automatic weapons, basically that use use gas for you know as as we do today. So I think that, um, for instance, the 1911 his his gun was used by the marine uh, by the army from. I, you know, early 1900s till 1986. So basically, from before we were fly, had planes to at, you know when the Cold War was almost coming to an end. So I mean, his legacy is huge. He had invented machine guns and shotguns and all kinds of guns that we basically he invented the technology we still use today, and people are just making it a little better. Do you have? And I'm gonna. I'm not sure I'm gonna get you into trouble here, but I'm sure you'll hear a lot of opinions about this. The single greatest either firearm or firearm innovation. In American history is what? <laughs> it's uh, you know I'm not sure what to say. I I, I love. Oh, just give me I, one. Come on, it's like asking you I the best. I'm thinking about the Kentucky rifle. I think it changed the way we fought war. Not immediately, and not exactly during the revolution, but the way people thought about guns, where they were shooting in a line 50 yards to shooting from far, you know, 300 yards and hitting an officer, you know, from really far away, so inventing sniping and all that. So I love writing about the Kentucky rifle and its history is really... Uh, well, what's, what's the Kentucky rifle? I mean, not everybody listening is going to know. Well, it was, well, they, it's, you know, initially muskets were not rifled inside. You know, they were just sort of smooth bore so yeah it was like uh, carrying a cannon around basically yeah it's like a little cannon and the uh musket ball would bounce off bounce off the inside and not you couldn't really aim very well and that's why you had a line of soldiers and they'd all shoot a volley and you'd hopefully you'd hit someone but the kentucky rifle could probably i mean people were regularly shooting 200 yards and hitting targets uh it's rifled it's thinner it was longer you could aim better um you know, many Americans liked it for hunting and things of that nature, but they used it in the Revolutionary War as well. And it basically changed the way, you know, European-style fighting of, 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 of that time was, you know, charging in lines and, and then putting on, you know, using your bayonets and stuff like that. The Americans shot from a little farther and creating distance as a big, it's why the gun was invented in the first place. So uh, that distance, especially with the Kentucky rifle, I think changed the way people thought about weaponry. And so just one more thing, David, before we let you go and get back to the book tour everywhere else, uh, what would you want people to take away from this, other than obviously a lot of history, a lot of useful information? First freedom, though. Right. Well, the first freedom, because the others don't exist without it, obviously. Uh, but more than that, I think, uh, you know, in this book, I hope people take away that, that the gun isn't just about, uh, you know, the political debate that's going on today. It's culturally in our DNA, and that's why people think about it differently. And and how you think about the Second Amendment, that doesn't mean everyone who wants to put any kind of safety laws up for guns are, are authoritarians, but the way you think about the freedom to defend yourself and how that relates to the state and the individual, I think, tells us a lot about how you think about freedom in general. So, I, you know, I think that the lesson here is uh, that this is an individual right that sort of defines all the others. David Harsanyi is the author of the book, First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. David, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, man. All right, team, we'll come back with some roll call. Stay with me. 
Buck. It's time for Roll Call. So I'm, I'm out here in Las Vegas, and there are some there's some pluses to Las Vegas, to be sure, right? You've got the warm weather, great food scene on the Strip, and people tell me actually pretty good food in the rest of Las Vegas, too, if you know where to go. But So the food is good, lots of warm weather, some really nice swimming pools. I've I've seen some, and also you can go shoot machine guns whenever you want. But I've come across a couple of downsides. For example, my friends, uh, they now have legalized marijuana, which I'm actually in favor of as a policy. But I don't smoke marijuana and have not in a very very multiple decades. I think now a very very long time. Uh, but it just means that when you get into cars now, sometimes you will smell the previous you know when i get into an an uber because i'm a big uber user uh you'll smell the previous occupants marijuana because it'll still the stench will still be on them hopefully it's not the driver because smoking and driving is not safe but uh, i I talked to some drivers about this and so now what they sort of do is really go heavy on the febreze inside the car and it's hot so you got to use ac and john i don't know if you ever had this experience but when you got when you get od'd with febreze man it is rough it is rough. All of a sudden, you get this like lemon toxicity going up your nostrils. Drives me nuts. It really does. I, I, I don't like those little, what do you call those things? Those little things that hang on the- Little trees. You know, hang on the dash. The smell. John, what are they? I think they're called little trees, aren't they? Uh, what are they called? Little trees? Yeah, that's right. Little trees. Those things are disgusting, people. All right? No little trees. Unless Little Tree sponsors the show. I'm just kidding. But no Little Trees. They're not, they, they do not smell good. They are not, uh, people think that it cleans the scent. It does not clean any scent, okay? All it does is uh, mask the scent with all kinds of chemicals and crap. It smells terrible. Do they have, what, uh, do they have ionizers for uh, cars? You put them in, a, in your uh, lighter and it uh, cleans the air for you? Well, look at you, Fru Fru John over here. Ionizer. Do, do they? Do they have those? Does do you, that even? Do you have? Do you have an ionizer or, in your Prius when you're drinking your green matcha latte? I don't. Uh, I, I, what are you trying to make me look like? <laughs> <laughs> just, just kidding, John. Just kidding. But I, I, don't I know, know you drive it, a Prius. You're a pickup truck kind of guy. Is it? A, is it a uh, air purifier or ionizer? I don't even know what the technology. I don't know. Is, it's but, disgusting. Uh, like, it, it's gross. So that's my one. That's one complaint I got about Vegas. And then here's another one. And people are going to yell at me for this, and this is okay. Is producer Mike around, or is he out getting phone numbers, quote, no, he, getting a cup of coffee? He, he's doing research. He's uh, Yeah, yeah, research. He's doing research with the, the, the ladies who work in accounting on the ninth floor or something. I know where, I know where producer Mike is. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm somebody who cannot stand this notion that whenever you're at a public pool now, at any, at any resort, there has to be music that's pretty loud. I don't want to hear whatever music they, they deign to put over the over the airwaves. You know what I mean? I don't want to have to hear Thievery Corporation or whatever blasting. Some of you probably know what that is. Most of you don't. But, you know, this kind of Euro, like, relaxation music. And I definitely don't need to be lying down in the pool and be hearing, you know, the latest Ariana Grande, which, you know, you get stuff like that in Vegas. I just don't understand. It's not relaxing. I'm by the pool. I want to relax. I don't need to have music blasting. If I want a music, I'll bring headphones. I'll bring earbuds. Am I being grumpy, John? Is this crazy? I, I thought you had like those, uh, what are they called? The pill that you uh, play your, it's like a portable speaker for your phone. You don't do that? Yeah, I have that. Isn't when I'm that at annoying? A, at a private, it's super annoying. <laughs> they do it on the subway the- all the time. Last night, um, I was on the subway and the guy had his music pretty low, 
But someone complained to him, and I was like, I've heard worse on the subway. Yeah, I I don't think you're allowed to. This is the thing. I don't think you should be allowed to uh, blast your music in any kind of a public way because I don't want to hear your music. What about that? I I don't want to hear. No, unacceptable. This is what I'm saying. I don't want P- I don't want music piped in over the speaker system when I'm by the pool, and I don't want people showing up at the beach. I want to hear the waves and the seagulls. I don't want to hear when I'm trying to lie down at the beach. I don't know what is wrong with people. You have headphones, use headphones. I know I'm alone on this one. People seem to think that, oh yeah, we gotta have music. We gotta have noise. For for relaxation to occur, there has to be noise. By the way, Buck, this is roll call. I know. I just got John just code redded me. That's all right. No, you're correct. It's it's okay. We're gonna we're gonna do an extended extended segment here. Oh, right, here we go. Here we go. John is right. I'm sorry, team. Let's get into it. your thoughts. Judy writes, Buck OSS and before. If we're gonna base Kavanaugh's guilt on previous personal experiences, such as those who say he sounds like their narcissistic husband, boyfriend, father, then let me take it the other way. Ford sounds like my narcissistic mother. Same words, voice, tone, and expressions disturbing to watch Ford may or may not have been abused. I'd say it's possible, but it started much earlier in her life and by someone much closer. However, I'm only an expert in my own case. And despite not being believed, I don't believe in punishment by proxy. I still believe in innocent until proven guilty by facts. Thank you for being a bit of sanity in my day. Shields high, Judy, Judy. Thank you very much. And thanks for sharing your story and your thoughts. Um, I, I, yeah, I was, I did not find Ford nearly as compelling as everybody else. Although I, I will admit that I, you know, there's a part of me that I also want to believe that somebody won't, won't lie about something like that. You know, I, I do, there's, I know that they will sometimes. I'm not saying that, but I, there's a part of me that just wants to believe that humanity is too good for that, that nobody would be so grotesque as to lie about a sexual assault uh, against themselves. And, we know it does happen, so I, I get caught up in wanting to believe the uh, the better, believe in our better angels or whatever, and, and then the reality of what I know to be true. It's unfortunately something else. Uh, Kyle writes, oh, here we go. Buck, what do you think of putting out a call for some recordings of Christine Ford speaking in a lecture classroom setting or shouting at a political protest event? I'm not convinced that her meek, childish, and befuddled behavior during the Kavanaugh hearing is consistent with how someone from a background in academia might communicate, especially for a liberal professor with recent protesting history with a women's march and march for science. I feel like we're being played for fools and that this is one big psychology experiment. Let's unearth some video or audio of her bellowing repetitive chants through a bullhorn or casting her voice across a deep lecture hall. As kids say these days, hashtag not convinced. Shields high, Kyle. Yeah, Kyle, you know, it's at this point, I don't even really need to know that much more about Professor Ford. I just find her I find her allegations to be uh, completely unpersuasive at this point, based on everything we know, all the all the coincidences, all the inconsistencies. Uh, I, I'm I don't believe her. And if we're just going to be asked to believe or not believe without evidence, I'm perfectly comfortable saying I don't believe her. In fact, I was perfectly comfortable a week ago saying that I even had a podcast. If you remember where we said they're lying about they're lying about Kavanaugh. That was their podcast title, I think early on last week. Uh, So I'm obviously in agreement with you here. Dr. Lee. What up, Dr. Lee? Great show. Keep up the good work. Uh, Good to hear from you, Dr. Lee. I appreciate it. Uh, Michael writes, Buck, I have a prediction for the Kavanaugh vote. Yes, 52 and no 47 with one abstention. 
I actually think Heitkamp and Manchin will pressure Murkowski and Collins to vote yes. So that these two Dems have covered a vote yes in order to save their skin in the election. Flake will flake and abstain, claiming he is above all of the partisan politics. Regardless, I hope Kavanaugh is voted in. Listeners, please write or call these senators. Michael, thank you for sharing your thoughts on this one. Much obliged. Joshua writes, hey, Buck, we shouldn't forget that Senator Jeff the Flake hasn't ruled out a presidential run in 2020. He will torpedo Kavanaugh in order to appeal to independents and moderate Dems. Shields high. Um, I don't think that Flake, well, maybe Flake believes that he might run, but no serious person thinks that he will run, which is an important distinction that I would uh, I would point out here. Uh, Flake, yeah, I, I think Flake is going to be a no. I think, as I've been saying, he's looking for any excuse, and now it's, a combination of, oh, let's cool these partisan passions. We should be above this. We're better than this. So let's give the let's give the terrorist Democrats what they want here. They took hostages. Let's give them what they want. That's going to work out well for everybody. Reward their bad behavior. That's what moderate, reasonable, quote, reasonable Republicans are saying now. Reward their bad behavior. I don't think so. Not on my watch. Wanda. It's a fun name to say. I remember Fish Called Wanda was a fun movie. I liked it. Wanda writes, love the show and your analysis as usual. As a fellow native New Yorker, I know this may sound naive, but Larry Sharp, who's voting, uh, running rather for governor, is really impressive, and I was hoping you would interview him. My friend always says that where there is life, there is hope. This guy gives me hope for New York. Wanda. Uh, Wanda, I don't even know about Larry Sharp. I always just assume that politics in New York are kind of a lost cause, so I will have to... Look into this a little bit and uh, and see what we can come up with. I, I was I was unaware of this sharp fellow. So I'll have producer Mike take a peek and we'll discuss. Thank you so much. Jeff writes, hey, Buck Shields High. Do you think it is likely that Flake coordinated this meeting with these screaming banshees in the elevator as an out for the vote? You would think it would have been pretty avoidable for a state senator to avoid or a senator of a whole state to avoid getting into an elevator with a bunch of crazy activists. Jeff, uh, give you points for thinking outside the box, but no, I do not believe that Flake coordinated this with them. Think about the risk in just think about the risk involved in that. If Flake were to be found to have coordinated with these women in any way, it would look terrible for him and it would be a huge there's huge downside. And why would he subject himself to this? I mean, he had a, a video go viral that he backed off of whatever he was saying he was going to do. Well, you know, he was looking for an out. So I do. I, I see your thinking on that one. But I, I think that the coordination point of this don't don't replace uh, stupidity and fecklessness with conspiracy. It's a very it's a very important rule that I always try to uh, to keep to, especially as we're analyzing politics here. That's it's like one of my one of my other rules is never uh, never underestimate the lethargic inertia of a bureaucracy don't don't think that conspiracy is the answer when there's something much much simpler staring you in the face uh we will hit a quick break here because when i come back i want to do more roll call because i know i complained about things being smelly in cars before and that took off some of of the team's time and i got to give the team's time back john pointed out i was trespassing on roll call territory so when we come back we got more roll call stay with me
Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. That's the kind of music they play by pools in Las Vegas. I'm just saying. You know, do you want to hear that when you're by the pool? Or do you want to hear just, you know, just the the birds and the trees and quiet? I did find an, an adult pool today, which was fun. 18 plus. That's that's the good way to go. Um, that's when you don't have kids. You don't really want to be around a lot of kids in the pool. Next up, we have Matthew, who writes... Buck, love the show, my friend. Matthew, you're a brilliant man. I discovered you a couple of months ago, and I've not stopped listening since. I'm a California refugee. I moved to Colorado, and yes, I see the irony, but I think we can turn Colorado unlike California. I've never voted during the midterms. However, I am this time. I am disgusted with what they are doing and what they have done to Kavanaugh. They have lit uh, a fire under me. P.S., can you, for all your new listeners, explain where Shields High comes from and what it means. Uh, Matthew, absolutely. It's been a while since I have discussed uh, what Shields High is. Shields High started back when I used to do a Saturday show on the Blaze Radio Network. I used to talk a lot about history on that show because I had three hours to do a review of the week and whatever else I felt like saying and analysis of anything. And sometimes when I talk about history, I would speak about ancient Greece. And I was talking to the team about a phalanx once which is the military formation, you know, of heavily armored Greek warriors known as hoplites because of the hoplon shield. That was the name of the shield that they carried. And now they'd all stand shoulder to shoulder with shields high to make the phalanx an effective defensive formation. Also, the Spartans had a saying uh, or the the phalanx was a formation in general. It wasn't just for defense, obviously. Uh, The Spartans had a saying, come back with your shield or on it, meaning come back in victory or come back dead. It was from this discussion with Team Buck. uh, I said that uh, they were with me as though we were in a phalanx together in the fight, shields high, and that just kind of stuck as the rallying cry. So there you go. That is how we got shields high. And it's kind of fun to say. Although people are like, what's this shiza? What is shiza? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. Or are you yelling she's high at the end of the show? I'm like, no, I'm not yelling that. It is shields high. Some people assume that it's a like a Star Trek reference, which is even nerdier than the ancient Greek reference. So, no, it is not that. Jeremy writes, hey, Buck, I listen to your podcast, so I don't get to call in. But your guest host yesterday was taking caller opinions on the scariest horror movie of all time. Michael Pelka. While I generally agree that Night of the Living Dead and The Shining are terrific flicks, they've got nothing on Hillary's America, the secret history of the Democrat Party. You will never sleep peacefully again after watching this movie. Jeremy, I will pass that along. Um, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, Steven writes, Buck, how do you really feel about Jake Tapper? Laugh out loud. I completely agree. CNN is how is clinically more effective than castor oil to uh, induce vomiting. Yep. Uh, I think, I think Tapper's a huge phony. Uh, I think he's nasty in person if you actually deal with him. And I don't have any respect for any of the primetime anchors over there in terms of what they do and what they bring to the job. So there you have it. Any of them, actually. None of the prime. Some of the dayside people I like as people. Prime time, though, I got no friends. I got nothing over there. Uh, Raymond writes, hey, Buck, has everyone forgotten what Bernie Sanders said not that long ago about women and gang rape? Why does he get a pass? Raymond, Democrats get passes on everything. 
you know, Democrats are allowed a whole different version of whatever the whatever the standard is that we're all supposed to be judged by. That's just that's just kind of unfortunately the way it is. Sterling writes, hey, Buck, two things about the Kavanaugh hearing. First, when she told her husband she was assaulted by somebody uh, why w- uh, who could be on the Supreme Court years before he was even considered, why would she think that? Second, why would Flake be the one cornered by an elevator and videotaped and not Lindsey Graham, who stood up for Kavanaugh? Well, they went after Flake because he's the weakest link, Sterling, so that's why. And as to your point about her story, yeah, I think that her story is is not true, and there are too many holes, and I don't find it believable. That she sounds upset and that that is, quote, credible is really not an important and not an important data point based on everything else that we have or when you take into into light everything else that we have. Um, I'm going to be out tomorrow because I'm doing a speech in Orange County in uh, Rancho Santa Fe. Hope you all can join me there if you're in the area. Until next time, Shields High. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes. Brace yourself because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. You know, everything is stored online these days, including your home's title. Domestic and international cyber thieves hunt American homeowners because we've got a lot of equity in our homes. They use it, the bad guys, they use it to borrow our money. Now, they'll take you off your home's title and replace you with an alias. Then they borrow every penny they can using your home's equity. You only find out when you get the payments, folks. Identity theft programs don't protect you, neither do insurance policies, but Home Title Lock forms a virtual perimeter around your home's title. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most viable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's $100 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, HomeTitleLock.com.